Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. <clears throat> the title of the talk is <clears throat> Titrating Our Dukkha. <clears throat> and it's a practice-oriented talk, hopefully a practical practice-oriented talk, that's, um, that I feel moved to share, um, to just underscore an important point, I think, that sometimes gets, um, gets missed in practice. <clears throat> and not just on the cushion, but in our lives that as well. This past week, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, uh, last time I was here, um, I was at Spirit Rock with um, all the other Spirit Rock teachers, plus a few teachers who um, teach at Spirit Rock but aren't on the Teachers Council. There were 25 or 26 of us, I think, um, all together. And we usually get together and sit for a few days or explore both sit and practice and also explore um, the Dharma together as a way to both um, nourish ourselves and deepen our connections and um, it's it's a very um, beautiful thing to do, especially since everybody is has dedicated their lives to being um, honest and true, and so there's a level of um, honesty and vulnerability. Um, particularly this time, uh, as much as I can ever remember, that um, that was uh, it's quite special. But what we also do, and um, often do, is invite an outside uh, teacher to come. It's great to be a student. If you're, if you're teaching a lot, it's really great to just say, oh, Tell me something, you know. Not not tell me something, but oh, let me open to something new, and let me just receive. You know, it's it's the it's the most for me. I I, I think of myself as a Dharma student first. I'll be a Dharma student until uh, the, the last day of my life, and I also happen to share, and I'm very grateful for that but to really open up and learn from other experts or masters um, is a, a very rich and rewarding experience. And doing it with my colleagues and where we're all students, uh, it's, it's very special. And our uh, guest instructor for one day of the, the time that we were together um, is a um, really one of the most well-respected 
um, masters could say from the somatic experiencing um, community. Uh, his name is Steve Hoskinson. Um, how many people are familiar with somatic experiencing here? And have taken the training? Any anyone who's taken the training? You okay? Um, many of the teachers have taken the somatic experiencing training, um, and many who haven't um, are quite familiar with it, with the material. Uh, not everybody, uh, but many. And we wanted to deepen our understanding, particularly how the approach of somatic experiencing could be applied to um, Dharma practice and working skillfully with yogis on retreat. If you're not familiar with SE, or somatic experiencing, uh, it is um, an approach to working with trauma, uh, a very effective, powerful um, approach that was developed by a man named Peter Levine, whose first book um, was called Waking the Tiger, um, really excellent book that I read a, no, a number of years ago and had a very powerful impact on me. And he has a, a more recent book that um, everybody was asked to uh, to look through and get, which Spirit Rock actually provided for us. That was very generous of them. Uh, called In an Unspoken Voice, How the Body Releases Trauma and Restores Goodness. Again, by Peter Levine. Uh, and I ran into... Um, uh, into Peter, we were both teaching at Esalen about, uh, oh, this is close to four or five years ago, and I said, hey, it would be really great if sometime you came and uh, shared with the Spirit Rock teachers um, your knowledge and wisdom. And he was open to that. He said, yeah, that, that sounds good if we could arrange it. And I asked, uh, oh, there was this time frame, and he unfortunately was out of the country, but he said, uh, you, I think you'll enjoy Steve Hoskinson, who is one of his main um, uh, main teachers uh, in the community, and uh, happened to um, a few of my friends have studied with uh, Steve and and uh, st studied SE and said he's a master. So I was really looking forward to it. And uh, as part of the preparation, besides looking at the book, and um, uh, Steve put together a video um, that gives the basic approach of SE that we were all encouraged to watch, and as well um, a video that uh, somebody, uh, a, a fellow named David Trelevin, made, and this you can uh, Google on uh, on the internet, um, his name is Trelevin, T-R-E-L-E-A-V-E-N. Uh, on his dissertation, I think it's for CIIS, talking about SE, somatic experiencing, particularly, what was the name of it? 
uh, somatic experiencing and Western Vipassana, the Western Vipassana movement. Um, and he, it's a really, um, um, for me, informative and it was quite interesting uh, video where he, his dissertation was about um, not only being a, an SE um, student, but a Dharma practitioner who went through some uh, major trauma that came out in practice and he saw some of the limitations of, of Dharma practice, of doing intensive practice while you are processing trauma. Uh, some of the uh, pitfalls or cautions um, and he had, he's, he talked about a number of different uh, approaches in uh, Vipassana practice. And he said in his video, um, he thought that Spirit Rock basically has done a really good job as far as um, uh, being able to meet people in their, uh, in their trauma. Uh, but not, not everybody... Uh, knows those skills, and as as he put it, and it it rang true. Sometimes, when somebody is going through a lot of stuff, um, <laughs> is that somebody having trauma out there outside? Ah, uh, send love to that poor kitty. Um, that stuff comes up and sometimes a lot can come up and not really um, uh, clear on how it can be held and some, sometimes too much can come up for the system. And then there are other times where stuff wants to come up but it's a little bit too... Um, dangerous uh, for for people to um, allow that stuff to come up. And so he was saying you can err on both sides. Either, yeah, let's go for it, or no, don't, don't go there. And that there is a skill in being in that sweet zone of skillfully, wisely handling the material as it comes up in a way that it keeps on being digested and processed and integrated, but not beyond which the system can handle. But having the, uh, using the practice to really keep on opening up to what needs to be healed. Now, you don't necessarily go on a retreat to make a project out of, you know, working all your your past history out. But that is part of the package, that things do arise. And it's important to honor when there's material from our past that comes up uh, to not just say, okay, you don't exist, and let's just get back to the, the emptiness of things, and um, uh, good luck but rather to uh, be able to 
I think, and most of the Spirit Rock teachers think, to um, to know how to shepherd somebody through those things as they arise, so that they're um, they're they're not the the knot or obstacle to continuing opening up to practice. <clears throat> and as um, as it's often said in the Vipassana instructions, you might hear this or you might think this, oh, this practice is about being with our experience as it is. You've probably heard that once or twice. Opening up to your experience as it is, having the courage to, to be here for things as they arise not to want, run away the way the way to uh, to integrate is not by is not bypassing but going through it and investigating whatever arises with a with a curious interest so when you hear that kind of instruction if something gets activated, trauma gets activated from the past, which can easily happen when we're not distracting ourselves in our usual ways. On retreat, there's, you're opening up on so many different levels in physically and mentally and emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and stuff often bubbles up. If you've done a retreat, you um, probably know what I mean as you're having memories of third grade or junior high or, you know, all kinds of things. It's all in there, you know. The old bubblegum commercials and uh, Alka-Seltzer and... Uh, and what somebody said to you, uh, you know, in, in kindergarten, and it's all in there. That's the, that's the news. It could be the good news or the bad news. It's all in there. Um, and sometimes things have affected us in ways that we don't realize that have created knots or beliefs or tensions or holdings. And the miracle of practice is this opening in a very safe uh, refuge that allows for the unwinding of any kind of knots that are there. So you hear those instructions, be with the experience, and you think, okay, whatever's coming up, I'm supposed to be with. But as... David uh, Trelevin pointed out in his dissertation, and he got into this uh, dissertation because he had some trauma that came up that was not handled so well. So it was a very personal exploration I prompted him. Um, That as you are opening up to it, you can be re-stimulating instead of Integrating. I'm just curious um, if you have had any experience like this that uh, on retreat that 
that you can relate to uh, in what I'm saying. Okay, so there it is. There's a number of hands here that kind of know what I'm talking about. And the idea isn't to just say, oh, I don't want to go there, but how to do it a little at a time. Mm. How to do it in a skillful way. So instead of being overwhelmed, there is this wise integration. We are um, mind-body processes. That's often how the human being is described in the teachings. Perhaps you're familiar with the five aggregates often as a way to, to talk about who we are. Form, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness. Those last four are the mind. And the first one, that form, is body. So one way of saying who you are, you are a mind-body process called Nancy or Ricardo or James. And if it's... And where we, um, where we are process things is not just through the mind, but through the body. We are embodied beings. And, and the body is where insights really get registered and where trauma gets registered as well. Even if you can't remember what happened, sometimes the body is holding in a way that is completely mysterious to you um, that will keep on holding until it somehow gets released. And that's this somatic, meaning body, experiencing is uh, this approach that Peter Levine did where you release the trauma that's been held in the body. And as I said, the insights also happen in the body. So when somebody comes into a an interview and says, I was walking yesterday in, in walking meditation and as I was putting my foot down, I saw for the first time or in a new way what I've been hearing for years that it's all empty. And when they're saying that from that experiential place, I can feel it. I get a little transmission. It's not just words. Oh, yeah, it's all empty, isn't it? It's, there's this energy that comes out of them because they have experienced it in their bodies for themselves. And if that's so, I often will say, um, let's just go back there for a few moments. Instead of, oh, well, I had that insight yesterday and it's gone and, um, you know, maybe it'll come again, you know, five retreats from now or ten years from now. No, it's right here, right now. And I'll say, let's just, 
Not always, but often. Let's just hang out there for a moment. Just remember what it was like as you were putting your foot down and you you had that understanding that's hard to put into words. And often they'll close their eyes and they'll be right there again. And what I find very helpful is to invite that person to really feel it in the body, the that understanding, not just the mental understanding, but feeling it right in your body because there it is that insight is anchored in a very profound way. As an example, I, I think I've shared this uh, before. In uh, Many years ago, I was uh, on a long retreat, uh, the fall retreat at uh, Insight Meditation Society, and I was stirring a cup of Caffix in the dining room. And uh, this is one of those things you had to be there, kind of, you know. But there I was, stirring a cup of Caffix and seeing the bubbles and the froth on the top. And as I was stirring it, I saw galaxies, world systems, subatomic level, just the whole of life, how it's coming and going and coming and going. And the bubbles would form and they'd come together for a while and then pass away and then reform. And and in that moment, I understood impermanence in a whole different way than the years I'd been practicing before. And all I need to do, as I'm saying it right now, is remember stirring that cup of caffix in the dining room, and that's my doorway to a deep understanding. That's, that was my doorway to understanding impermanence. In, in Tibetan practices, I think they, they have a name, um, they actually call it triggers, triggers for insight. It gets activated. And it has to do with having an embodied experience of it. <clears throat> and in the same way, the body is where trauma is held and where trauma can be released. Peter Levine's approach in somatic experiencing he studied animals out in the wild, uh, you know, on the savanna, you know, giraffes or deer or um, all kinds of animals. And when an animal has trauma, say an animal is attacked and is caught, sometimes they'll play dead, or if it's a, if it's a near-death experience, they will freeze, and if they're fortunate enough in that brush with death for the predator to leave, they will, after a while, somehow shake themselves out and then move on, and they don't carry the trauma with them. Maybe you've seen a, a bird hit against a glass window 
and then they're just kind of stunned and they're there still for a while and then all of a sudden like that and they're off. So animals don't hold trauma for the most part, at least as far as we can see, um, in the way that we do. We have the feeling of being prey or a victim or in some ways, you know, genuinely traumatized. Sometimes it can be the, the, the most seemingly innocuous thing of being in the, in the dentist chair and, and, not, and feeling like you're, you know, you're, you're trapped. You know? So it's not that this is always a, um, a nefarious kind of experience, but that whatever you personally have taken on, you've frozen. You know, there's the flight, fright, freeze response, the sympathetic uh, nervous system response in the face of danger. And when we freeze and feel trapped and can't have a chance to release, then we get stuck in those places. And so respecting that process of opening the potential for release of trauma is extraordinary once you understand how it works. I, I remember I used to, used to think, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, oh, you're traumatized, you are traumatized for life. But that's not it at all. That's not the way it works. You don't have to be holding trauma for the rest of your life. If you know how or understand and are with somebody who's skilled in supporting you, how to let the body release its freezing. But the... The key in this process is to, in respecting this process of opening and releasing, to take it in small doses. Because otherwise, the system can be um, overwhelmed. And this is both on the cushion and also in our lives. And I, I want to share this, uh, particularly if you have the idea that doing Vipassana practice, mindfulness practice, is feeling whatever is going on. Those are the right instructions. Not always. Not always. Somebody I know well who, um, when they are stressed, they can get very out of balance. And, but they have a, a propensity and a belief, I need to feel my feelings. And when they, sometimes when they feel their feelings, particularly from that stressed place, they can often be just re-stimulating in the name of practice or in the name of healing. Yes, it's, it's healthy to feel my feelings, and to some extent it is, but 
if you are getting overwhelmed, and sometimes that happens with um, this one person, that um, you know if they haven't slept, if you're kind of not in balance, then you're just kind of getting more spun out in this. So titrating our experience as we open to the dukkha, to the suffering, is a key. And this is something that the Buddha talked about. This is not just Peter Levine and somatic experiencing. The Buddha, in one of my favorite discourses, um, Majima number 20, if you want to look it up, and I've shared it here before, the, the discourse on the removal of distracting thoughts, the Buddha has a number of strategies for working with uh, difficulties as they arise, if you can't be mindful and stay concentrated. And he gives five different strategies if mindfulness is not available to you. And the third strategy is what he calls, um, or what has been called from the sutta, forgetfulness and inattention. This is the Buddha talking. Right? And he, he says, when one is overwhelmed or one is lost in unwholesome thoughts, and it's, you've tried a couple of his other strategies. The third one, he says, if that's so, then just forget attending to the, um, the difficulty, the troubling sign. Don't give attention to it. And that really comes to mean not to go to sleep, but to turn your attention elsewhere. To turn your attention elsewhere. Just like if you're having a lot of physical pain, and perhaps you've seen this, and you're thinking, oh my God, there's 35 minutes left in this meditation. I'm going to die, but I've got to be with the pain. And then you, if you're old enough uh, to remember, there used to be an old Anison commercial. Anison, I don't even know if they sell Anison anymore, but Anison was this like Excedrin, and, and they, they had this... Um, Pain, and it was one was a, a hammer hitting down pain, pain. Another one was a lightning bolt, pain, pain. And you, you just it's it's in my brain now, you know, pain, pain. And there you are labeling mindfully pain, 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 pain. pain. There's no end to that. This is a very difficult practice. If you're staying with that unpleasant sensation for 35 minutes and gritting your teeth and bearing it, you're probably not going to say to your friends, meditation is so much fun, right? It's like, oh my God, you know, who wants this? Well, the, the skillful thing is to turn your attention away from pain when it becomes so strong. First, if you can, and what I often, what I usually tell people, if you can, relax around the pain 
and then let your attention just explore it for a minute or two. And I've been saying this for decades before I ever heard about somatic experiencing. Just make a little contract with yourself. Just feel it for a minute or a couple of minutes or half a minute. Just say, okay, let's just feel this. And then at the end of that contract, then you come back and take a breath or open up to sounds or just uh, turn your attention elsewhere. And then as it goes, as it calls you again, be with it for another minute or so, just a little at a time. And I usually suggest to people, do that a couple of times, two or three times, just so you get a little practice in working with a difficult sensation. And then when you need to move, if it becomes so much of a struggle that you're just kind of, you know, macho meditator in there and trying to handle it, then just move very mindfully but you're taking it in in small doses. This is like the Buddha's suggestion on forgetfulness and inattention. And we naturally do this in our lives. It's really listening to the wisdom of your body or your intuition not just in the meditation, when you are really getting spun out and wound up and lost and you might not see any way out of what I call the spin cycle in your mind and in your body and in your heart and it's just getting more and more and more contracted. What do you do? Probably after a little while. Well, what what do you a couple of comments what do you do when there's no way you can be with the experience and you're just getting more and more caught up in it what might you do anybody take a walk, take a walk. how brilliant just time to cool out i need to get a little bit of space you know take a walk Read the New Yorker. Okay, good. Or watch something funny on YouTube or whatever, you know. All the different ways, you know. Go out in, into nature. Call a friend, you know. Eat some ice cream. That can sometimes happen. And that can be skillful, too. It's just, as we talk about it, just chilling out. Okay, time to chill, you know because it's getting so hot in here. So this is what we naturally do. Take a break. It's, it's the natural law. You know. Even in the Bible, God took a break after you know, working hard for six days. Okay, time to just rest. Right? I don't know if she said it like that, but... Uh, but the practice really is learning to find balance. And if you're out of balance, then that's more important than can I stay with this difficult experience. And part of that is knowing our limits and just really honoring and getting our cues 
from inside if there's so much struggle or contraction that we can't think clearly or see clearly or respond then that's time to just get a little bit of space <clears throat> and what we do is um, with the meditation we're moving one way to get space is moving from the content of what's going on in the mind to just seeing, oh, oh, freaking out. That's what's going on, okay? In the moment that you kind of see that, oh, that's what's going on, then you've stepped out of the content. That's one way to get space. If there's enough, enough awareness so you're not completely immersed in the story, and you just see, oh, this is this, this hell realm that I'm creating in here. Or this is triggering me and I don't know what to do with it. Not even with a story involved. Uh, okay, what's, if you can, oh, what's going on? Let's feel it. But if you can't feel it with a, a balanced, spacious attitude, then you need to get space in other ways. And when we're on retreat, and this is something that the teachers were exploring, as Steve Hoskinson was sharing, you kind of go in and out of supporting people, going in and out, touching it a little, and then coming out. You know, when you're very, um, when you're really confused, one of the simplest and most effective things to do is just feel your feet or feel your hands or feel your body here. You know, right now as I'm talking, just feel yourself sitting here. You know, just kind of come back to that orientation, what's, what's called orienting yourself. Oh yeah, here I am in space. And that is another way to just take off um, release a little bit of the pressure in the pressure cooker. Oh yeah, here I am on planet Earth. Maybe take some deeper breaths or looking around. Oh yeah, wow, it's getting really intense in there. Oh yeah, oh yeah, there's a world out here. And as as Steve talked about and we, we try to do on retreats is you kind of you come in, you get grounded, you're here, and then if you touch something very difficult, okay, hang out with it for a little while, and now come back, and now hang out with it again if you're, if you're curious or open. Now come back, what's called pendulation. And I'm I'm not an, I have not been trained in, in SE, although I I think I understand the the concepts and I've been doing it in my own way for many years. Um, it's just it makes sense. You just touch it and then you come back, and you touch it and then you come back. And he, uh, the question, how about metta in the process? That is one of um, a number of ways to get some to get some space. You know, in in that 
in that discourse that the Buddha gives are those different strategies. The first strategy is substituting for the confusing, distracting, troubling thought, wholesome thoughts like metta. If you're filled with anger or rage, oh, doing a little metta. Or if you're filled with doubt, doing some uh, reflections on faith or other heart practices or compassion, of course, when you're going through a hard time. But metta is, is an absolutely you know, powerful way to reorient or to get a little bit of space. And I wanted to ask you, and then we'll open up to, we have a few minutes for, for uh, discussion, just uh, go inside for a moment and reflect in your own, your own life. When you find yourself getting confused and lost, what's your... strategies that you find helpful? Are you one, for instance, to go in? Or are you more likely to back away? And is there just the possibility of staying connected and balanced and in your own pace, your own time, in a skillful way that just knows or senses how to meet the moment and grow and then take care of yourself as needed. Just think of how you usually work with overwhelm and how in your wisest moments you work with it. Okay, so um, just before we open up to the question uh, questions or discussion time, again, I want to underscore this point about titrating your dukkha, titrating your experience, that it's not only about being with what's here, but it's also having the courage to be with what's here if you can have the support that helps you hold it. Um, so, with that in mind, um, any comments, any um, things you want to bring up or share? Um, I just want to bring up that when trauma comes up on retreat, you might not really recognize it until you actually are off of retreat. Mm-hmm. And part of, and I think actually something that's a really huge piece of being able to titrate is feeling safe in community. Yes. And um, I think in our culture, we've really lost what community is supposed to, how a community is supposed to hold each other. Mm-hmm. And that can have a really dramatic effect on how well somebody can handle traumatic 
stuff coming up, if you have a safe feeling that the people around you can hold the space, and that takes more than one person, because one person can't do that mm-hmm. for, for somebody. But when there's a group of people that can, can sort of be non-judging and non-reactive and, and allow that person to feel like they're okay, even though they might be freaking out a little bit, mm-hmm. that can actually help the individual to be able to titrate on their own and recover much quicker. And I just, I have personal experience with not feeling that sense of community mm-hmm. and the degree of unraveling that occurs mm-hmm. as a result. And so that's something I feel very strongly yeah. I wanted to comment on. Thank you. That's, that is, um, uh, you can leave it on. That's a very um, crucial point. It's, it's all about feeling safe enough to open little by little. And if it's not safe, then that's a clue not to open beyond beyond what feels safe. So, and having both the support of some of of a, somebody you can check in who who's skillful in holding things, and also having the support of a network is makes all the difference. Well, thanks, Jen. Yeah, uh, James, um, I'm not sure I agree with you about animals uh, not holding mm. on to trauma. Okay. A um, couple of years yeah. ago, I rescued a, a beagle. Yeah, she was a medical close. research dog. Boo, close. Um, and uh, she was kept in a crate for the first three mm. years of her life, mm. which is probably the worst thing you could do for mm. a dog. They're mm. pack animals. They're social animals. Mm. Um, when we got her, she was tense. She was hard as a rock. Her mm. body, you could feel the tension in mm. her body. Mm-hmm. And um, subsequently, I mean, she landed in a really good place. She gets so much love, and uh, she's softening up. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking that she was holding that tension. I mean, she's freaked out. Even loud noises t- yeah. today, something new in the house, mm-hmm. you know, she's mm-hmm. totally freaked out. But yeah. she's softening up, and I you know, it's releasing some of that mm-hmm. trauma. It's, it's, you know, it's an excellent point. Thank you for clarifying that. Of course, animals can be traumatized, particularly if there's not a way for them to just shake it off and move on if they are, if they are um, held in, a, in an unsafe environment where there's no way for it to be released. Um, we all know traumatized Animals, you just go to the animal shelter and, uh, you know, it's painful to see. So, thank you. All the way in the back, if you pass it. Claudia, raise your hand. Thanks. Um, In part of my life, I was a therapist, and um, I had two experiences of holding people in one in a way that uh, we can all use a a technique that I used, um, which was finding a place, whether it's in nature, whether it's uh, where you felt safe as a child, and using that visualization as a safe place if you can't go out for a walk or if you can't, you know, sort of physically extricate yourself from a situation. But in your mind, going to that beautiful place on a sunny hillside where, you know, there's a waterfall or, you know, some place that you've been that you can revisualize over and over and have that as your safe place. Um, The other comment I wanted to make was that um, I had a 
a patient who was having a psychotic break mm. and um, connecting him to the ground and to what was physical in the room and certainly not out the window because it was too scary and it was too untethered. Mm -hmm. But, you know, sitting on the floor with him and touching the floor and touching the physical things in the room was was very effective in Mm -hmm. grounding him and creating a safe place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Thank you. And the whole thing about um, letting the mind... Uh, create a safe place is that once that's created then the body can relax it's like the mind creates this space and then ah oh it's okay and it's that body relaxing it's not just a a mental image it's then allowing the whole system to be held in that safety so yeah thank you very much anything else all the way Um, my name is Aaron. Um, I experienced trauma in my life that came up like over a, a, a period, a long period of time. I mean, it built up and it built up and it built up, mm. and I didn't see it coming. And when you when you were speaking of how it comes out in certain ways eventually, because um, we hold it, you know, and put it close to, to your mouth that, that we hold on to trauma, mm-hmm. and it, it'll eventually come out in a way, you know, in our body, mm-hmm. our minds, mm-hmm. and mine came out in my mind and um i work with a therapist and you know my psychosis seems real to me Mm -hmm. you know but to her it's not real Mm -hmm. and so when we work together one of the things that i always have wanted to do since i started with her was to tell her every detail the last eight years of psychosis of hearing voices Mm -hmm. and the way that she dealt with it with me was totally opposite of what I thought it was going to be. I thought we were going to talk about content. Mm-hmm. I thought we were going to get to the nitty-gritty of like, you know, what was going on in this dialogue in my mind. Mm-hmm. But actually it was about keeping my feet on the ground mm-hmm. and getting closer to kind of meditation. Like she's sitting across from me, I'm sitting across from her, my mm-hmm. feet are on the ground, I have a pain in my foot. That's ground as grounding mm-hmm. as we can get right here, right now, in this mm-hmm. moment, mm-hmm. and you, we're okay. Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing scary happening. There's nothing, you know. We're mm-hmm. in a safe room, in a safe place, and it was, you know, that practice time and time again really helped me with the idea of when I left that office and I went back out in the world and I would hear things and be back in psychosis mm-hmm. that I could you know, ground myself in, in other ways, in other forms. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But really just finding my feet on the ground mm-hmm. and being in the moment helped mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Great. Thank you. And that's, that's the, the, the process for, for healing is to both find strategies thanks, and to um, learn more and more to resource yourself so that you learn that you're held in a in a healthy supportive environment and then you you're learning that you have all the capacities inside for that resourcing and more and more you become uh, your own safe haven as a part of you that that can open up to anything uh, as you more and more are integrating all the the ways that you get 
that you've gotten lost or confused or the habits that have formed. And, and the ultimate one is in Dharma practice, be, seeing that you are the awareness that is watching this whole show. Sometimes it's not so available and you can say, okay, I got the idea. I'm the awareness. Okay, but I'm freaking out in here. Okay. But more and more, when you do get that experiential opening and you understand you are the awareness, then that becomes your resource. That becomes the way that you can hold most anything. But you've got to really be respectful of that process and not think you can just, you know, jump to uh, the end the answer in the back of the book. Oh, that's the real answer. It's really embodying that understanding as well. So, um, we can end with a short loving kindness and dedicate the merit. Just reflecting on we have this, that we have this capacity for healing. That's the amazing thing. Our wounding can be held with a compassionate, wise heart that not only can heal in ourselves, but be an agent of healing for others. What a blessing. May I open up to all the wisdom, and compassion, and love inside to hold the pain and suffering. And may I awaken more and more to that loving, wise heart and to my true nature. And then extending that out as I want peace and happiness, may all find <clears throat> happiness and peace and find a place of safety and refuge. And may all awaken to their true nature. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings find happiness, peace, and be free. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Have a great week. Stack the chairs up very mindfully. <clears throat> Thanks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.